Well, if you have your Bibles with me, with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Two weeks ago, if you were here or listening in on the live stream, we were in Matthew chapter 1 as we delved into the story of Joseph, familiar character in the Bible, this obscure young Jewish carpenter from Nazareth who got his world turned upside down. Well, today, just a week or so after Christmas, we're going to fast forward about two years in the chronology of what we find between Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. And we're going to turn to some of the post-birth story, to characters who, who aren't necessarily living in obscurity, but are actually living in, in some level of importance, in some level of prominence. And what I want us to see this morning, this is a, this is a good New Year's sermon. This is a good place for us to start every new year. What I want us to see in these stories, this is not just history for us to file away. Yeah, I remember that story. More than just a fascinating piece of well-known drama, these stories and these characters They have something to teach us, not just about what God has done in the world and is doing in the world, but what our response to what God has done and God is doing ought to be. And so that's my hope this morning as we open up Matthew chapter 2, a familiar passage, a familiar story and and visual for many of us who've grown up in the church who have been here quite a bit Nonetheless, let's look at it afresh this morning. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chiefs and chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want to begin this morning by talking about babies. Talking about babies. We live in a big world. Did you know that in the United States, a baby is born every eight seconds? Even more amazing than that is that when you broaden it to our entire world, not just our country, an average of four babies are born every second. That means in the length of time that it took to give those statistics, about 80 children entered our world and took their first breaths. Wow. What will those children be? (laughs) Where will they fit in our world? I remember when our kids were born, I would sometimes there in the hospital room be imagining as most parents do, thinking about your kids and and the the trajectory of their lives and hoping and beginning even then to pray for them to find spouses. I imagined a a parent, a set of parents like Anna and I in, in a hospital room somewhere having their little boy or having their little girl. It was the world to them, super significant to us, although we won't know it for years. And yet to most around, just another birth every eight seconds. Of course, once in a while, there's a birth that that catches the world's attention. I googled this week uh, notable births in 2021, and most of them births were celebrity births. Most of those celebrities, I didn't even know who they were. So it takes a, a rare birth, right, to be a notable birth in our world. The news of Jesus' birth that we have been celebrating for the past month plus is an interesting mix between the ordinary and the extraordinary. Right? In its time and place, Jesus' birth was recognized by very few. But those who did see what this birth meant, they rightly treated it like no other they had ever seen. We who sit here this morning, we can't treat it like any other. The silent night might be behind us, but the ramifications of that night are ever with us. And so three truths this morning for us to set our hearts on as we walk through this passage, the three truths that are fleshed out by the three groups of characters that we find here in our story in Matthew chapter 2. And the first truth is this, the birth of Jesus is a threat to kings. We might, you might put in parentheses, kings, official kings and unofficial kings. The birth of Jesus is a threat to kings. You could also say a threat to kings and queens, both official and unofficial. 
At this time in history, some of you know this history, the Roman Empire was divided up into regions, regions that were ruled under the authority of the emperor by men that were appointed by Rome. And Herod the Great was one such regional ruler. He was essentially the king of Judea. And for some 40 years, Herod the Great had ruled this region with considerable success. There's quite a bit that's credited to him. Civic buildings were built by him. The temple was built by him. But most importantly, Herod the Great during this period of history was able to keep the peace. And that was a big deal. That was no small feat because this was a religious, a religious, religious, religiously charged region of the empire. Still is today. I won't try to say that word again. It's charged over there. But here in the first century, there's a strong Jewish presence living under Roman rule. Now, Herod is not a devout Jew. He's half Jew, but that's enough for Rome. It's actually perfect for Rome. Because we don't want a charismatic Jew ruling the Jews. We don't want a devout Jew ruling the Jews. We want someone who's got a, kind of his, his feet in both camps. Another thing that history tells us was that Herod, Herod was an absolutely paranoid man. He was highly suspect of those around him. At this point in human history, he had already killed one of his wives several of his sons whom he thought were a threat to his rule. And the last point is significant because when news of a birth, the birth of the king of the Jews comes to his doorstep, Herod is not interested in relinquishing his throne. Matthew records here in Matthew chapter 2 that his response was troubled. And not, not just Herod's response But all of Jerusalem was troubled. Now why might all of Jerusalem be troubled? Because no one knew how Herod was going to respond. No one knew what Herod might do, how he might react to this. And they knew from history that Herod might very well take things out on them in his frustration, in his anger. But notice Herod doesn't question this search by the wise men. He didn't question the story of these travelers following an astrological phenomenon. He didn't scoff at the idea of a baby being born in the shadows who might be a threat to his rule. He was Jewish enough to know that this was coming. To know that many of his people were waiting and hoping for a promised ruler to come. And so when the news came to his ears, he sprung into action. Remember, he is king of the Jews. But he's not Jewish enough to know the details. And so he needs to tell the, he needs to ask the scribes. He needs the scribes to tell him what every devout Jewish child would have known that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. The the prophet Micah had prophesied long ago, but you, Bethlehem, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod confirms, this is the long-awaited one. Jesus is a threat. 
Now let's just pause right there. The message of Herod is not just for those like him. No one here is or ever will be as powerful and ruthless as Herod was. Most of you know the rest of the story. The fact that in an attempt to snuff out this boy who he misses because the wise men don't return to him, he will order the slaughter of all boys to and under. And yet, Herod's unbelief is indeed represented in our world. And even in our own hearts. That's why I say the birth of Jesus is a threat even to unofficial kings. To those All of us who want to rule ourselves. Jesus is a threat. This is the heart of unbelief. We want to rule ourselves. We want to be our own authority. We want to create our own standards of conduct. We don't like the thought of bowing. Not just our knees, but our agendas, our our lives to anyone else. And yet this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to rule. Not just people 2,000 years ago. Not just an ethnicity. But all those He created since the dawn of time. Jesus, we confess, is the final word that demands to be heard. He has given us His Word that demands to be followed. He has left us His Spirit to make all of this possible. And I proclaim to you this morning that that His Word and His rule and His life is exactly what we need. Jesus wants to dethrone you, yes. But He wants to dethrone you for your own good. So the question that I pray the Spirit uses to search your heart this morning is, where are you refusing to bow? The call this morning is to lay your scepter down, to submit to Him, whatever that might look like today. Jesus is a threat to kings. That's the first truth. And the second is this. Jesus is more than a manger. Jesus is more than a manger. So I said this is a great, it's a great passage for us to think about a week after Christmas. I've mentioned this recently. It's weird to celebrate the birth of our Savior in this culture that we live in. Right? Jesus, even today, gets so much airtime this time of year. The carols we hear in the department store, the manger scenes popping up in the yards. But here we are post-Christmas, and poof, it's gone. It's gone. You see, our world, similar to the chief priests and scribes that are mentioned in this passage, we, we might know a lot about Jesus, but we don't really know Him. I mean, these guys, these chief priests and scribes, 
that are mentioned here in Matthew 2. They are the religious folks of the day. They poured over the writings that spoke of Jesus. They, they knew who he was. They knew where he was to be born. When, but when it came to the indication that he had arrived, they were indifferent. They were the ones who were supposed to be watching and waiting. Their ears should have perked up at the question of these wise men. What happened? Whether it was over-familiarity with the things of God or even worse, a desire to remain comfortable in, in what they were doing and what they were about, these men not only gave this ruthless, paranoid ruler the location of the possible Messiah, but they, they let the wise men come and go. When they should have been packing their bags and tagging along. We got to go. We got to see. Is this the one? But they had lost, if they ever had it, they had lost the longing anticipation, the expectant wonder that God was actually in their midst. Brothers and sisters, this is the cultural air that we breathe. For so many, we bring Him, Jesus, out for one month a year. We put His figurine on our mantles. We enjoy the warm cozies of Christmas cheer and then we put Him away for another 11 months. For others, we treat Him as an additional, optional add-on in our lives. We've got busy things to do in 2022. Let's get at it. We look His way only occasionally. The indifference of the chief priests and the scribes remind us that we can't be indifferent. God has come to earth and nothing will ever be the same. So don't pack Him up. Whatever fervor you had for the past four weeks during Advent, pray that God would stoke that fire. And that leads us to our last truth from this passage this morning. And it's just an encouragement. An encouragement that I acknowledge you only can do by God's grace. Make Jesus your all-consuming, all-defining obsession. over anything that you are thinking about striving for in this new year. Make Jesus your all-consuming, all-defining obsession. Isn't that what the writer of the Hebrews says? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fixate yourself on Jesus. John 3.30, He must increase, I must decrease. You see, in stark contrast to the religious Jews who knew a lot about Jesus, but they didn't really know him, here we find these non-Jewish astrologers from a faraway land who, who didn't know him, but had somehow been given the faith to desperately seek him out. Right? They, they were looking for the Messiah, but really the Messiah had already found them. 
And so they would leave their land. You don't know exactly where they came from, possibly Persia, possibly Babylon. And they launch out on this long journey. Did they understand the one they were going to see? I don't think so. Not fully. But God had revealed enough. A couple weeks ago, we were in the verses immediately preceding these verses that concluded with the naming of this child, the name Jesus. Now between that verse and verse 1 of chapter 2, some almost two years have passed. Joseph and Mary are still in Bethlehem, but they're not in a stable. They're in a house, and Jesus is no longer a newborn. And so these ancient travelers had had time to make their way to Jerusalem. And we don't know how these wise men, probably astrologers or priests of some sort, knew about the promised one in Israel. We don't even know that there were three of them, though that's typically what gets painted. Perhaps they were Jews still living in their home from Babylon, or perhaps they had read the writings of of Daniel who had become prominent in Babylon. We read earlier from the book of Daniel as he spoke of this one, this ancient of days to come. Perhaps these men had read those ancient words and the Spirit had illumined them and caused them to jump off the page for them that there is coming a king, not just a king of a neighboring land, but a king who will come to be the king of the nations. And so these men were obsessed. And their coming is one of Luke's statements to his Jewish audience, his readers. Not simply that Jesus is the promised one of the line of David. Not simply that he is God, the son born of a virgin. But that he has come to be king of kings, lord of lords, the king of all nations. Isaiah says in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light is come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so these Gentiles from afar find the Savior when the Jews who are right there, He's right under their nose, they miss Him. And these men come with gifts. Jesus is a toddler. He doesn't need gifts. doesn't need any of these things. They don't come with toys. They come with gold and frankincense, and myrrh. It's interesting gifts that they come with. I don't know how much to make of the gifts. It's interesting that Matthew points them out individually. Gold is obviously a symbol of royalty, an acknowledgement of kingship. Incense is used in worship. It's mixed with oil to anoint the priests. Myrrh is used typically in Embalming, one of its many uses. Could the wise men's gifts given to this newborn king be insight into what this boy would accomplish? A boy who would become king 
a boy who would be a priest, the great high priest, a boy who would die and be buried. Maybe. Matthew is certainly reminding us that the King is worthy of all that we are, of all that we have. So the question this morning from Matthew chapter 2 as we start our new year together and individually is, who do you most identify with? Are you like King Herod? Is Jesus a threat to your rule, to your way of doing things? Are you willing to, unwilling to bow the knee? Are you like the scribes? You've got more pressing things to do than to obsess about Jesus? Or, I pray, are we like the wise men of old who are striving to make Jesus our fixation, the dominating personality, the guiding star of our lives? We talk a lot in the new year about losing weight right? (laughs) About putting off bad habits. Spiritually speaking, we need to be gaining weight. You and I need to be deepening and and strengthening and, and making heavier our understanding of who Jesus is, of what He's about. And so I call you, I encourage you, even as I encourage and call my own heart out of complacency to pursue this Jesus. I want to close with a portion of a New Year's prayer out of the uh, Puritan prayer book, Valley of Vision, which I have read from time to time. Let's close with this and make this our prayer. I launch on the unknown waters of this year with You, O Father, as my harbor. With You, O Son, at my helm. With You, O Holy Spirit, filling my sails. Guide me to heaven with my lamp burning, my ear open to Your calls, my heart full of love and my soul free. Give me Your grace to sanctify me, Your comforts to cheer, Your wisdom to teach, Your right hand to guide, Your counsel to instruct, Your law to judge, and Your presence to stabilize. May your fear be my awe, your triumphs my joy. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Father, not just for this new day where indeed Your mercies are again for us. Great is Your faithfulness. But we thank You for a new year that stands before us. A year full of hope and full of possibility because Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. 
And so I pray this morning for my own heart and for the hearts of those who are here and for the hearts of those who are watching and, and listening in that you would stir us, Holy Spirit, that we might make Jesus our obsession, that we might put, on, put down our defenses in those areas of our life where we feel like Jesus is a threat and that we might open ourselves up to His goodness, to His freedom, to His life. Oh, Father, we acknowledge that we can only do this by Your grace. We want to do this because we know it brings You glory and honor. It's what we were made for. To worship You. To enjoy You. To glorify You. Would You do this work in us? Holy Spirit, I pray that You would take Your Word, plant it deep in the hearts of those here in exactly the ways that they need to hear it, that they need to digest it. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.